Hi, I'm Dr. Audrey Jordan, Chair of the Master of Public Administration Degree Program and Jerry D. Campbell Chair of Civic Engagement at Claremont Lincoln University. CLU is a 100% online by design graduate university that believes in socially conscious education. That's one of the reasons our new MPA program is so different. We've reached out to public service leaders who are on today's front lines and created a dynamic MPA advisory council. The council is filled with intentionally diverse group of mayors, school board members, city council members, a state senator, and even the state treasurer. It will be chaired by the city of Claremont Mayor Pro Tem and council member Jed Leano. Jed is dedicated to diversity, inclusion, and equity in government leadership, and this shows in his many accomplishments. And now he's also the host of CLU's brand new podcast series. It's called the JEDcast, Dialogues with Changemakers. I'll be co-hosting with Jed as we talk with the MPA Advisory Council members to find out about their journeys as trailblazers in public service, their current policy priorities, and some of the ways they can be more involved in our MPA program. So as I described, Claremont Lincoln University is about developing leaders who are social change agents. You know, we were already on a mission to ensure that we develop leaders who are insistent on leading by the golden rule, by having a kind of ethical leadership that really makes the kinds of changes we need for justice for all. And after the summer of 2020, that amped up to another level for us as well as everyone around the country. And so the question becomes, how then do leaders respond to the crises of our time? And what does it mean to really address the structural inequities that we have? And so we've been fortunate to assemble this masterful group of people for our inaugural MPA Advisory Council who will, will be led by the chair of that council, Jed Liano. And today I have the distinct honor to have some time for him to tell us a little bit more about him and why he's doing this. So good to be with you, Jed. Um, wow, I'm looking at your resume and I'm looking at all these things. And I invite you as the listening audience to check out our website and read all of Jed's accomplishments and the many things that he's doing right now. But Jed, I, I want to give you a minute to introduce yourself to, to us and tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the MPA Advisory Council and then decided to serve as chair. Well, thank you, Audrey. And it's a real pleasure to be here with you today for our first episode of this podcast. It's a real honor to be able to serve in this capacity. And like so many things that have happened in my life, it was total happenstance and perhaps luck that I was connected to this institution and this program. Uh, I was elected to the Claremont City Council in November of 2018 in the general election. I'm in my first term, halfway through right now. And I was connected to Claremont Lincoln through Dr. Ann Turner, who in my first two years on the city council, Dr. Ann Turner was the director of human services in Claremont. And more specifically, she ran Claremont's homelessness program. And so we work very closely together 
addressing homelessness and affordable housing was and remains now a critical policy priority of mine. And when I got to tell you, when Ann Turner was at Claremont, we were Batman and Robin. And frankly, we still are. We still work closely together on a lot of initiatives, even though she's not employed by the city of Claremont anymore. And when she told me she was working with Claremont Lincoln on this MPA program, in so many other ways, our missions and our values aligned. And so when I got the call from her to participate, I was thrilled to join and help lead. And so really glad to be here with you, really glad to help launch this program and excited for how this podcast can be a part of the new MPA program. That's fantastic, Jed. You know, I'm especially just amazed at the assembly of people that we've got, a diverse group of folks who all share a passion for equity and inclusion. And I'm struck by the fact that you could have done lots of things, uh, made lots of money in many other ways, but you chose to be a public servant. What made you make that kind of choice? Well, you know, that, that that's a that's funny. That's a question that my wife asked me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I grew up with the blessings of a loving and stable home that was financially secure. I'm a first generation Filipino American. My parents immigrated to the United States in the 1960s. My mother was a nurse and obtained her US residency through a program that no longer exists, the Schedule A nursing visa program. Mm. My father joined the United States Navy. And at a time we, we used to enlist young men from all over the world. And in exchange for their service, those young men became United States citizens and uh, got money for college through the GI Bill. Mm -hmm. And that was how the Liano family started in, in the US. I was always blessed with a loving and nurturing home environment from immigrants who came here for the American dream. And one thing they always made clear to me was that all of their sacrifices in coming to America, it was all for us me and my sisters, they didn't do it because they thought America was cool or because there was a bridge they wanted to live near. They came here for opportunity and, and they reminded us of that regularly. When, when that is imparted on you at a very young age, you see the blessings of education and opportunity in a different way. And so I've always been imbued with a responsibility to take the things that have been given to me, the opportunities that I've had, and then use them for others, in service of others, not just for myself. Frankly, I've never been really motivated by money. When I when I graduated law school, I immediately went into immigration law. And if your objective as an attorney is to is to make the most money you can, that's not the field to do it. Mm. Representing undocumented people is not uh, the path of collecting the highest salary as an attorney in the market. But I felt like that was where I was needed. My, I felt like my skills and my abilities would be best served by by helping people who um, who were fighting deportation. And exile is a punishment worse than death mm, for, yeah, for, for some. Sure. And so, so I I suppose that it's a combination of upbringing and the the culturally relevant experience of being a first generation child of immigrant parents, and and then the values of the hardship that they went through really imparted on me the responsibility to use my abilities and my education. Uh, in service of others. Wow, that's just amazing, Jed. You know, I was also thinking that you mentioned to me when we were talking about how you were able to pull so many of the other advisory council members together through the leadership efforts that you've been through with them around housing and homelessness. 
I was reading an article in the Nation magazine um, about the crisis upon a crisis that homelessness is in California and in LA County in the midst of a pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about and share with me and the listeners some of the ways you're pushing for solutions to this really catastrophic and complex issue, especially for communities of color? Thank Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because it's really hard for me to get on a microphone and not talk about housing and homelessness. I, I'm chomping at the bit and waiting for the opportunity to discuss that. So, you know, in California and especially in LA County, we are in the grips of literally a crippling housing crisis. Mm, yeah. the, the root causes of the crisis are that housing is simply unaffordable. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Is it because there's simply not enough supply, which is then therefore driving up costs? Is there just simply not enough decision-making to allow for housing to be built? The, the, the cause of affordable housing is very personal to me. My father grew up in the poorest slum in Manila, Tondo, Manila. Um, there was a BBC documentary aptly entitled The Slum. Mm. And it was about my father's neighborhood growing up. And, wow. and even my father growing up in the Philippines in Tondo, Manila, they had public housing. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. th they had um, public housing for him and families that were low income. I was raised by my grandmother, like many Filipino Americans. And I came back to California to practice law because I wanted to be uh, closer to her. And, and I was one of her primary caretakers in the early stages of my law career. Uh -huh. And, you know, uh, she lived in senior subsidized uh, rental housing mm. in the last 15 years of her life. And so, you know, the dialogue around housing and homelessness, it is often ripe with innuendo and mm. fear-mongering rhetoric. Yeah. And somebody needs to stand up for people like my grandmother, mm. somebody like my father. I don't believe that that anybody's ability or inability to, to pay rent is fundamentally indicative of their character or of their human qualities or their contribution to community or their deservingness of basic necessity such as housing. So in addition to that, you know, I'm also a, a father. My wife, Liz and I, we started in Pasadena. That's where we met and we lived together. And like so many young professionals in Southern California, we migrated eastbound. Mm. And that's because we wanted what we were always taught was the American dream to mm -hmm. have a career and own a home and start a family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the opportunity to do that in the community where you're living is simply unattainable and you have to migrate so far eastbound that, that you're living half of your day in your car, we're, we're definitely getting something wrong in our housing policy. And the experience of, you know, my wife and I moving eastbound to Claremont from Pasadena, you know, we're quite fortunate. We moved in 2011. If, if we were 28, 29 years old right now in metropolitan Los Angeles, I don't think we could have afforded to come to Claremont. And that's for sure. it's just purely a mechanism of lucky timing. And so my generation, you know, we might be Gen Y and millennial. We might be the first generation that is not better off than our parents. We might be worse mm. off than our parents. And yeah. housing affordability and wage stagnation are a major cause of that. So that's why this, this issue is very personal to me. And that's why I dedicate so much of my time and energy to it. Well, we're all the better for it, Jed. And it was so wonderful hearing your personal story. But you know, as the chair of the program, I've got to ask you how <laughs> you're thinking about 
sharing in some concrete ways with our students. So are there specific ways you see yourself and other council members getting involved directly with our students that are in our curriculum? Yeah, so first of all, uh, I'm, I'm really excited that I get to be a part of this program. The very first thing that I really want to get my hands on is informing the curriculum and advising of issues and topics relating to the different courses that I think are relevant. Mm -hmm. to the students right now. I mean, obviously there has to be an academic foundation of everything that our students learn. But when it comes to policies like transportation, housing, climate, environmental justice, there is no shortage of policy actions being undertaken right now that I and the other members of the advisory council can plug our students into. The people that have joined this advisory council for the MPA program at Claremont Lincoln, what I'm so excited is not just for them personally to be able to participate, but for the students participating, they get to learn what we're up to, what we're working on right now. We are working on housing elements to zone new land, to develop new housing. We're working on climate plans to figure out how to reduce greenhouse gases for the next 20 years. We're working on first mile, last mile. How do we take the existing delivery infrastructure for online sales and, and equipment of merchandise and turn that into a green economy? We are literally right now having to formulate COVID recovery policy. And what does that look like for equity? Mm -hmm. I mean, every single mayor and council member and school board member has to figure out how do we make sure that the economic recovery coming out of COVID touches people's lives in an equitable way. Mm -hmm. And so not only do I want to inform on what is what are the topics being studied in the classroom, I'm working on policy myself. Yeah. And for the students in the MPA program, I want them to come with me. I want ah. them to come and observe the journey, uh, mm -hmm. see how the sausage is made, see mm -hmm. the relationships I have to form and the calculations I have to consider to, yeah. to try and get some of these policies adopted. Wow. Jed, I, man, that's ex so exciting. And I just can't wait for our students to have the opportunity to engage with you and the other council members. So, you know, just much appreciation, Jed. I really see that we've got so much to share with our students and so far to go with them. And uh, I think we're gonna together uh, put this program on the map as a, a really special experience that supports our students who are leaders and change makers to take it to that next level, just as you all have. Well, so, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really yeah. excited about it as well. And so much of my excitement comes from all the wonderful things that I've been able to learn mm. from you and the faculty and administration at Claremont Lincoln. And the, the other thing that I think is really critical is that, you know, in the aftermath of the summer of 2020, no matter where you are in government and politics, everybody has a job to do and everybody has a role that they play in their city, their county, or in their state office. And the thing is, with the in the aftermath of the summer of 2020, the thing that's on everybody's mind is what can I do? What's yeah. next? What can I do to help deal with what is clearly a problem of institutional racism? Where can I plug myself into that? And for a lot of us, it's instituting policy change. That, mm -hmm. that is fundamentally what we do for those of us who legislate and pass and adopt laws. But, you know, there's another layer to this, and that is also 
helping train that next generation of people in government, people working at cities, people working at counties, people working for government agencies. How do we impart in them the, the understanding that we've learned from our policy failures and successes and, and explain to them how to help create more equity in these government agencies? This is a really complicated question. Mm. And the only way that we're going to help to to nurture the answering of these questions is to share our experiences. And personally, for me, I'm really excited about this first, you know, wave and this this first collection of of the advisory council is all of us in leadership have a responsibility to not only try to enact the laws that we're pursuing, but also to take the lessons we've learned from that. And and I hope that this first advisory council shows that to be a necessary responsibility and duty for anybody who's trying to make change. You have a responsibility to come and train the next generation of city managers, city department heads, police chiefs, recreation department leaders, and and teach them what we've learned from, from the process of trying to enact change. Wow. Well, Jed, our model is all about the practitioner scholar, and it's such a bonus to have folks like you and the rest of the advisory council members who are exemplars of practitioner scholars for our students to have the experience of, of hearing from and learning from. Well, you know, Audrey, I want to tell you that I was on a I was on another podcast a couple of weeks ago and there was this very, I don't want to say it's vague, but there was this very 36,000 feet in the sky question, what do you define as success? Okay. Yeah. And I had to really mull that over. And the answer that I came up with after giving it some thought was, I think that a successful person combines two things. Number one, they have a calling. Mm. They're motivated and they undertake their work and their process because there's something that's calling them. That's number one. Mm-hmm. But number two, it's not enough to be called and to believe into your work. You also have to become proficient and get mm-hmm. good at what you do. Yeah. And when you can, and when you can marry those two things, you are fundamentally driven by mission and a calling. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you become good at what you do. You're yeah. good at making laws. You're good at developing policy. Mm-hmm. That to me is a successful leader. And every single person that I have invited to join this advisory council, they meet those two things. They are, they're called to service because of issues that they deeply care about but they're also very effective. They're very yeah. good at what they do. They get things done. They have a track record of results. And, and yeah. that's what I think makes this group so special. Hopefully, therefore, really creating and informing a very robust MPA curriculum for the students at Claremont Lincoln. That's, that's wonderful. And, and adding that third piece that you mentioned, and that is to bring others along as you journey and make that a very intentional part of what you do. We couldn't be more appreciative of you and the other council members, Jed, for sharing your lives and your experience with us. So on behalf of the entire university and this podcast series, I'm looking forward to being your sidekick on the next 11 conversations we have with the council members. And so thank you for listening. Thank you, Jed, for your time and looking forward to much more. Really looking forward to it, Audrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.